Lucrative Super has been a proud partner of the PFA since 2009 and offers PFA members the opportunity for one-on-one consultation and advice on your super at no additional cost. With Lucrative Super, you're a part of an industry super fund that's been providing solid, long-term returns and excellent service for the past 40 years. We care about giving back to our community. Lucrative Super, working for a better future. We're jumping on today with a man that spent 16 years in this system. Can you believe that? 16 years, a very durable figure. I need to clarify something, though, before I do formally introduce you, Nigel Bougard or Bogard, because so many commentators over the journey, I reckon, stuffed it up. So can you clarify for the listeners what it is? Yeah, definitely Bogard. And uh, no matter how many times you correct them, mate, they, uh, they'll still say it the way they want. It's true. It's very true indeed. Mate, as I said, 16 years, football, a massive, massive part of your life. No doubt you would have been playing it as a little tacker growing up as well. Pretty much all you've known. Um, And then all of a sudden, you're out the other end, uh, retired. How does it feel? Is it a bit weird? Yeah, it is a little bit weird. Um, Obviously, like you mentioned, playing football since, I think, uh, age four and professionally for 16 years. So, um, yeah, pretty much half my life has been um, in the professional sporting environment in Australia. And um, to step away from that, I don't think the reality of that um, has hit yet. Um, we're currently um, away on holidays, which is probably the norm for, for the off-season in between, in between seasons. So um, I think uh, when the boys go back to training um, and I may be driving past them on the way to a work site um, and I see them running around kicking a ball, then... That it may sink in then, but um, to be honest with you, it was it was the right time, and I'm um, really looking forward to to life after football as well. What is life after football? What have you mapped out already? Yeah, so obviously, um, with with not playing professional sport and the demands of that, a, a lot more time with family uh, and friends. That's that's the most important. But work wise, I've been um, I've been studying along my journey uh, playing football and um, went and got qualifications to be a residential draftsman. And um, when I came back to Newcastle, started to network and see um, what opportunities were around to make sure that when I finished football, I could step into a into a career and, a, and an industry that I was interested in. Um, that, that was important for me. So um, the last couple of years, I've been um, working part-time for an investment company, um, but they do solely property development. So I've been project managing um, a lot of our projects there. Um, and I, that's what I'll step into as of uh, the start of August. I'll step into a full-time role there. Um, and it's my passion. If I didn't play football, I would have gone to uni and studied architecture. Um, nice. So it's, it's in an industry, um, construction and building industry, and, and it's something I'm looking forward to. And um yeah, really excited about a, a different chapter and, and almost starting from scratch in, in something that um, excites me. What about coaching badges? Are you looking at hedging your bets a little bit and doing that as well? Yeah, I, I'll always um, I'll always be involved in football. I've, I've got to do my badges. I always said that I wanted to, to get them by the time I finished. The, the work side of things probably took over compared to, to finishing my badges, but I always want to give back to the game. Um, at what level, I, I don't know. Um, being around the game for so long, it, you can see uh, how fickle it is to be a coach, um, yeah. even more so than a player. And um, with only 12 male teams professionally in the country and, and um, uh, just less than that with a female game as well, um, it's, it's a tough gig um, and with young families and things like that, I've seen a lot of close mates, I've seen a lot of coaches and the pressure they're under and, and what it does. So 
it is a it is a certain side of type of lifestyle that you've got to be prepared for and um right now mate after playing 16 years it's not something that i want to throw myself straight into um but yeah i i need to get back to the game um something that's given me 16 years of joy um a career i got to wake up and kick a ball every morning and for me it's the best job in the world so i will find a way to get back and and hopefully appropriately yeah very envious i do enjoy talking about it but nothing better than actually kicking the ball itself um, you've seen a lot of changes, you've seen a lot of peaks and troughs with the Australian uh, League and it's probably fair enough to say that the the code finds itself in a little bit of a pickle at the moment. Uh, there are a lot of passionate football people out there um, that want to come together and they want to see it prosper in the future. But where do you think it's at as someone that, was a journeyman and was involved for so long. You know, we saw the heights of the post-2006 Socceroos World Cup and the incredible crowds that we were getting to the games and just being a part of that as a young man myself, um, I thought that the tra- trajectory of the league was only on the up and then, of course, it waned a little bit and we find ourselves in a bit of a strange place at the moment. So where do you kind of think it's at, Nigel, and, and what needs to happen moving forward? Yeah, I think I think you summarise that quite well. I think off the back of the 2006 World Cup, there was a a great hype around the game and a great interest. And obviously, the the A League is was still in in its infancy, so um, it could have gone anywhere. And I think everyone wanted to jump on board with that and, and kind of ride that. Um, like you mentioned, unfortunately, it it kind of rose and then it plateaued. And if anything, it, it's taken a small decline. I'd say probably over the last five years, uh, probably prior to COVID. COVID's probably a, a different beast altogether. But um, for me right now, it's an exciting time. Um, obviously, with the league stepping away from ownership with FFA, um, don't get me wrong what FFA have done uh, for the game in this country and, and stabilise it for as long as they have um, is very honourable. And, and we're all thankful for that. But uh, I felt like the time was right for, for the league to break away and, and start to, to pay its own path. And and I think with um, with the people in charge there and um, what they're trying to do with streaming and, and different revenue sources and things like that, I think the game's in, in, um, in good hands. Hopefully um, what players have been sold, what staff, what, what the, the supporters have been sold by the new APL, um, hopefully it comes to fruition. Um, because really the game um, needs to be, I think, knocking on the door of your, your two big codes in this country of, of AFL and rugby league. And, and when you look at participation at junior level, um, uh, there's no reason that we can't. So it's it's about converting those numbers at junior level, um, not losing them through, I suppose, that, that teenage to to young adults um, and making sure that we harness them and, and they're... they're they're fans of the game. Uh, they feel engaged yeah. with the professional team that's that's in their town. I think that's a big issue um, to really latch on to and feel welcomed by um, those A-League teams um, in their community. So there's a lot to be done. Hopefully um, we can see uh, a Women's World Cup here that will also bring a great hype to the game, especially to the, to the women's side of the game. But... Um, yeah, it's. I kind of feel like it's a it's a, a restart almost to the A League. Yeah. Um, not in terms of finances and different things, but it just uh, it's an opportunity to really take the game forward. And hopefully, um, the, the people in charge can can do it the right way. And and we can probably have a conversation in ten years and say, "Wow, look at the league now, where 
we're competing with a with an AFL or rugby league in terms of viewership, in terms of sponsorship, um, and in terms of crowds at uh, at games. That'd be nice. Absolutely, and one uh, organisation which has been an absolute constant is, of course, the PFA and all the incredible work that they've done, the advocacy, um, the support that they give you players, you know, bargaining rights, all those types of things. Um, They do a power of work down there, all the gang, and you're involved in the executive as well. So can you speak to just the the sheer amount of efforts uh, that they've put in over the journey just to ensure the players get the right conditions, the right welfare, et cetera. Like, what has that experience been like for you being involved with them? Yeah, massive. And and they've been doing this for, for well on or close to 30 years now. And um, to have them in the players' corner, to, to, to be able to have them fight for us, whether it be CBA negotiations, um, whether it uh, challenge anything at club level, there's – there's a, there's a massive team behind the scenes that look after players from um, contract disputes to, to players being stuck overseas to, um, to to the biggest part for me is the the player development program, which um, we have uh, PDP um, uh, officers in, in every club um, and, and they're there to provide support to the players to make sure that they're um, mental health is uh, is on track or they can support them with anything they need with that. Um, talk about their career path uh, while they're, if they want to study, uh, if they want to work part-time while they're playing football, um, trying to gear them up towards uh, the situation like I'm in to make sure that um, the transition out of the game, they're, they're in a position. But um, there's so much good work that the PFA do behind the scenes to, to support the players. Um, it, it's immense. And um, I remember the first um, meeting we had back when I was playing the Central Coast Mariners and um, I can't remember who it was. I think it might even have been Brendan at the time um, come in and I just thought, wow, these guys have got our back no matter what happens, um, regardless if uh, a club turned against you or whatever, these guys are there to support us. So um, over the years, obviously, went from being a youngster to a, a bit more of a senior player amongst the squad and um, was a delegate for a long time. And then as soon as I moved back to Newcastle, um, became an executive member and um, sat on the board there and um, just always had in mind I'd like to, to ensure that um, my fellow peers um, were were heard and voiced and, and I felt like I had a... Um, a pretty objective view to, to most things and made sure that I put everyone's um, interest at, uh, at heart and, and forward. So yeah, really, really, um, really happy to be involved with, with PFA at exec level and a governance level and, and understand um, that side of the business. And yeah, mate, we're the, the PFA have been instrumental, especially over the last um, two CBA negotiations, a real tricky one during COVID and, and one that's coming up now. So, um, yeah, with their support, the the games, the game, and the players are, are in a better position. Well said. Now to wrap up, mate, you are doing a walk, I believe, for men's mental health, which is fantastic. And you're involved as an ambassador in a charity called Hashtag Talk to Me Bro. I think you joined, or that was founded rather, in 2018. There is an article up on the A League website if people want to go and have a look at it. Um, talk, talk to me about how important this is and how close this is to your heart. And just for what it's worth, it's something that's extremely close to my heart, having suffered as someone in my early 20s and seen a couple of other friends uh, go through a similar experience. So I tip my hat to you, but I'm keen to learn a little bit more. 
Yeah, so um, Talk To Me Bro is an organisation that, um, like you mentioned, uh, was set up a few years ago uh, with Luke and Jack, and um, they found themselves um, in the same position going through something quite tough through their life and, and felt like um, there needed to be an avenue to, to discuss um, these type of topics, mental health and suicide and things like that. And um, these two guys are, are amazing, mate. When you talk to them, you, you understand that what they're trying to do comes from a very genuine place through, through their own experience, but really wanted to um, rip down the stigma that is uh, mental health and, and suicide and, and the fact that men, um, excuse me, are told that we're not allowed to show emotion, we're not allowed to talk about our feelings and, and we're not allowed to... Um, ask a mate to, to be able to cry on their shoulder if, if the going gets tough and um, for these guys to go around facilitate t- talks um, to open things up to to um, officers to work environments to sporting teams to to just open the conversation allow um, guys that um, probably feel like they can't speak out about these things that you know what when you when you do open up there's there's probably a number of other people in the room that that are feeling the exact same way and and to understand that you're not alone in a lot of these things um, is a big issue. And um, I, I think uh, a lot of these things just break down those barriers to start the conversation and, and to get the ball moving and, and to make sure people understand that, that they're allowed to speak out, they're allowed to be emotional. And, and, and the, the man of, I'd say, 50 years ago where you had to hold everything in and you had to be this macho, brave guy, um, I think it's gone. I think I think the, the world will be off, a better off place if, uh, if men are able to express their emotions in the right way. So for me, I met up with these guys um, a while ago when they were speaking at a local football club and and straight away just thought I I need to try and help wherever I can, whether it's being ambassador, whether it's trying to use networks that I built over the the years playing football, just to make sure that um, these guys have a a platform that I can help with. And and they they do amazing uh, work. Sorry, they... They see that many people, um, and this is this is just on the side. They both mm. work full time as well, so it's 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 yeah, it's it's astounding, mate. The amount of people they reach each year. Um, I talk to Luke regularly, and I'd say he'd have two or three talks a week if he could. Um, and most of the time, it is that way. So, um, yeah, the the walk that you mentioned, um, it's a it's it's a crazy one, but the the boys are ambitious and and they've. Decided to walk from Perth to Newcastle, um, and the idea, the idea behind it, uh, yeah, it's 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 massive. Um, the idea behind it was in um, twenty twenty. It was estimated that four thousand um, lives were taken from from suicide in that age bracket of men from seventeen to forty four. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guys uh, just thought we need to do something about this. They they were doing their talks in Wollongong and Newcastle on the Central Coast, but felt they wanted to to try and expand out and, and reach more people. And for them, it was the correlation of uh, around 4,000 lives, but the, the walk is about 4,000 kilometres from Perth to Newcastle. And and for them, they felt like every every K that they ticked off by walking that that they were, um, I suppose, honouring or acknowledging that, that what's gone before and um, hopefully they can they could change it. So the idea was to, to, to do the walk, to stop in these um, small towns along the way obviously between Perth and Adelaide and Adelaide to Sydney and, and then up the coast but to stop and talk and hold um, a little function where they could facilitate these talks and um, for me the boys I remember this conversation with Luke he just said if if this walk we can change one person's life 
um, change their mindset and, and, and take away um, that stigma, then, then the walk has been worthwhile. So for me, that's that's massive. Um, so, yeah, I agreed to, to jump on for as an ambassador of Talk To Me Bro for, for my own personal reasons, um, just family issues. I, I, don't, I, I don't feel comfortable talking about it in great detail, but mm. enough for me to see that, that mental health can, can play a massive part in, in um an individual's life and the dynamic of, of their friends and family. So for me, um, not only that, but I've also seen it a lot within the teams I've played with. Um, you see it quite regularly. Um, so that was another reason for me. But, yeah, my part in the walk, I was hoping to to, to jump down in Adelaide um, where I played quite a few years down there, um, walk with the boys down there, and then a, and then a large chunk probably from, from when they get closer to Sydney to home as well. So... The only disappointing side of it, obviously, with, with everything that's going on in the world at the moment, the boys have had to actually postpone the walk. Um, yeah. They've spoken to health regulations, um, uh, governments and everything like that, and, and um, they were advised that with all the border closures, um, holding talks and different things like that, it, it would be quite risky. Um, so, unfortunately, the boys have had to postpone it, um, and there's no date confirmed. Obviously, with COVID, everything um, has to be quite flexible but uh we're hoping that uh, as soon as uh, things clear up that we're able to to discuss starting that walk again but um the boys have still got uh ongoing sessions and things like that around the Wollongong and Newcastle area and and I'll hope to to jump on board with them and and help facilitate a few of those things as well but mate it's it's I've just jumped on board as an ambassador but the guys uh Luke and Jack what they've done mm-hmm. is up to date is is mate it's it's massive so um, kudos to them and what they've done in this space because it's a it's a big one that hopefully um, we can start to shift the statistics because it's it's quite alarming um, to think that it's um, it's the number one cause of death for for males from 17 to 44 and um, it, it 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 shouldn't be that way. Well said. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely awesome. Uh, the thing that I like about some of these walks as well, and when they do happen, is just getting out to those rural areas, those isolated areas. I grew up in uh, a very isolated area of New South Wales, uh, and there was a real stigma around whether you're playing AFL or football, or um, there was even a bit of rugby where I was. It was a bit of a mixed bag. Was being macho and being a man, and not, and not really uh, opening up and talking. Uh, and you often find that in rural areas, it's 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 a lot harder to get men out there to talk, as opposed to say your metropolitan areas. So that's the one thing that I love about some of these organisations. They're going into those regions uh, where people really do struggle. There is a stigma around not talking and don't worry about it, um, get on with it type of mentality and that attitude, um, which is very debilitating. Um, and it's also compounded, Nigel, by the fact that there are a lot of farmers out there that have obviously done it tough. There have been a lot of droughts in the past couple of decades. Unfortunately, my family had to sell up and get rid of their farm because they had consecutive years of drought. So the one thing that I do really love from a personal perspective is that they're going into these these heartlands of Australia uh, where people don't have the resources um, and they don't have people to lean on as well because it's just not the way that these, uh, unfortunately, these towns or these isolated farming areas are, are made up. So I just commend them. I think it's wonderful and I think the more organisations and the more people we get out there talking in corporate environments, creative environments, whatever it is, uh, the better. So I applaud you for getting on board, mate. So easy, mate. Yeah, I think you, you spoke very well and 
I think the the rural areas are, are why these guys have done it. Um, obviously, they they understand that they're they're the most at risk, and like you mentioned, the the farmers and the like that have gone through it are quite tough. So um, yeah, hopefully hopefully they can they can do this walk. But the plan is to be able to go back also in in years to come and touch base with these communities as well. So um, yeah, hopefully hopefully we can we can get out there as soon as possible once once things settle down with COVID. Beautiful work. Well, Nigel, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Footballer's Voice. I've really enjoyed it, mate. I know we spoke quite a bit in the uh, daily football show days, but nice to uh, speak to a man that's enjoying retirement. It sounds like you've got it all set up outside of football, but of course you'll stay in football as well uh, just because you're so passionate about it and you love it. And enjoy your family time. Um, enjoy a few months off and I'll keep close tabs on everything to do with Talk To Me Bro. Uh, great work, mate. Well, dude. Cheers, Adrian. Thanks for your time again. Always a pleasure, mate.